0: Welcome to the podcast of 37 Things You Need to Know About Modern Britain. 37 Things is a series of talks, dreamt up by Bug, in partnership with the House of St Barnabas. In these talks, we try to unpick modern life by asking open-ended questions about the things that seem important today, whether that's money, the media, the madness of celebrities, or the problem with the colour pink. The House of St Barnabas is a not-for-profit members club that is pledging to break the cycle of homelessness and social exclusion in London. To find out about it, go to hosb.org.uk and Bug is a collection of journalists and business people who like to question accepted ideas. For more information about Bug and to see the other projects we're working on, go to buglondon.co.uk and don't forget, you can actually come along to hear our 37 Things Talks which take place in the chapel at the House of St Barnabas. Just check out either of those websites for details. If you've been following these podcasts, you'll know that generally in part two, we discuss the talks, and this is no exception. So if you haven't heard part one, maybe go back and have a listen. If you have heard it, then just enjoy. So one of the things I'm interested in that you all kind of touched on Uh, a little bit was the change in attitude towards fitness and that how, I mean, Tim went into it in quite a lot of detail, but the fact that there's something that has changed in maybe not across the whole of the country, but something has changed. It's become, if I don't want to use the word fashionable, but I'm going to use the word fashionable. So what happens, and I'm thinking actually particularly if you work in the magazine sector, um, if that fashion changes... So we can say that spin cycling is fashionable or maybe it will move on, and running. And triathlons, which used to be the province of nutters, as far as I can remember, is <laughs> <it> now <laughs> appears to be like what everybody does. But Anyone it did used do. to be like, you know, only very, very super fit people would do. So what I'm interested in is what does that mean if that particular exercise falls out of favour, spinning or running or yoga or whatever, that because that will change people's mm. attitudes
1: towards it. I mean, have you seen that at all? It's still... Got, I mean, from, our, from the young women's point of view, it's still relentless. I, do you know what? I think, I think it becomes generational, though. So I think millennials, Generation Z, have a generational attitude. They want to go out and do something. They want to share it, on, and it, it can't just be going out and drinking because that's just not shareable, it's just not interesting for them. So I, I think whatever form it takes, it's probably going to last quite a long time.
2: I think that it's a really interesting place because obviously fashions follow trends, as in that's, and cultures follow trends. But I think where this is going to be very interesting <laughs> over the next probably five years is that suddenly you've got a financial angle coming at it, which is mm. the fact that this is b- being driven ultimately by investors and they see an opportunity to make money here. Whereas, f- f- say so if I'm incorrect, in terms of fashion follows seasons and there's, mm new new fashions that follow whereas even if say indoor cycling potentially was going out of fashion i think that the the money the money people behind it probably won't let it happen because they can really really push and influence like what people are doing and and how it's going to do it so i believe that i know investors out there that that when they are starting a fitness brand a health brand or anything that they actually go for the aggressive option which is Let's get as many stu- sites, studios as we can, as quick as we can, to yeah. kind of saturate people's brains.
0: Yeah, so they know it's there. And what about, I mean, you know, you mentioned the stats, and it is very true that the obesity is going up. And there's a, there's a stat that I read which is to do with how, many, how far people walk generally in, in life. And essentially, we all used to work about, walk about kind of a mile and a half every day in the 80s and 90s, and now we only walk half a mile a day. So, you know, you're walking half a mile to your spin cycle class, but, you know, this is essentially the, the average. If all this is going on, so all this amazing fitness is going on, we've got classes everywhere, you've got it in L, it's absolutely everywhere,
1: but you still can't engage people. I mean, what do you do about it? I, I think, and there is a lot of statistics, I think there's a, a, an epidemic of mental health problems around particularly young women, and there's a lot of work and research being there. So I think GPs are recommending exercise very strongly instead of antidepressants in the moment, it's just shown to help women or generally anyone going through that. So I think it's become part, it's become very much part of the culture. You would never have gone to a GP and say go to fitness class five years ago. Not even five years ago you wouldn't now because of all the big charities working around that. I think it's actually bedded in quite strongly.
3: There is. Yeah, this is what, you know, We. I mean there's undeniably like a, a, a socio-economic aspect to it which has been mm. touched upon in terms of how people target and where they target but um, what we found, and the reason I mentioned you know, women's health was that a- actually when we aimed something to be quite elitist, it, it fundamentally wasn't of interest. You know, it-, it wasn't what people wanted. Well, it's what we call the actuals. People want the actual um, application of the information. That's at the-, at the key of it. And what we found is that is more readily available than it's ever been. And you know, with-, with men's and women's, obviously, uh, that worked very well. But with uh, sort of the proliferation of social media it's actually more accessible, and and as it's getting more accessible, it is engaging, and it was really interesting. Well, Park
1: Run is hugely
3: Well, And it's it's exactly right. And it was interesting what you were saying about the emotional um, Mm. side. I think the emotional
1: side is going to be really... The women
3: content, because it's interesting with with the men's side, because, you know, men are not sort of classically known for sort of communicating their emotions, but what we found was when we started, a lot of, you know, the magazine sort of applicable information is facts and figures and Mm. stats. But when we moved online, when we look at the digital, a lot of it was about the club mentality. So there were guys there who were actually wanting to lose weight because they were clinically obese. And there were guys, it wasn't like who could lose the most. It wasn't a competition. It was an actual inbuilt support network. And it was actually really wonderful to see these guys actually talking to each other, saying, hey, you know, you've lost three pounds. That's amazing. And it was quite um, a cultural shift, we thought, uh, you know, because we were very used to this kind of alpha male you know where it's like it's all about you and it's all about how you progress. And this way, we sort of redubbed them the Alpha Gen because we found these people who are actually engaging with each other, actually supporting each other. It was a kind of a new kind of network that we hadn't actually seen before. Facebook was
1: driving a lot of that,
3: Hot, you know, wholeheartedly, yeah. and it was really incredibly supportive. is is a nice thing to see.
2: And I also think, sorry that um, the the particular medium of social media will also de- determine that kind of fluctuation of trend because. You know, in terms of Facebook, Facebook kind of runs across everything, just quite broadly. Whereas at the moment, there's so many positives and negatives because of the the potential overuse of Instagram. But at the same time, it's that's the medium now.
1: Yeah. Like it was Twitter,
2: and it was MySpace, Mm. and it's a matter of what what's going to be next. And the
1: platform will change. The
2: platform will change, which I then think will have an influence on on. because previously with Twitter, it was very verbal; it was less imagery. Whereas it's now, be it's video. Whereas now it's kind of like overshare.
0: Okay, given that we are in an Instagram age, I'd like to say two think two words to you, and those words are clean eating, and that is it seems to be part of the kind of Instagram <laughs> vibe to do with fitness. How much do you feel that 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 is a positive? Thing and how much i mean i 'm actually actually particularly thinking about L around that idea that you should only be eating certain things, and if you have a bit of cheese on
1: toast you will be struck down by the health <laughs> yes. I've, uh, We never ever engaged with any of that because it 's ridiculous rubbish i mean you're, <laughs> if, you're, if you don 't eat gluten you can 't eat gluten it's because you're a celiac That's the, there is no reason not to eat gluten i 'm saying that i 'm not medically qualified <laughs> but I just think it became. Ludicrous, and we just couldn't. We couldn't. uh, We stopped putting the word "diet eating" thing on the cover about five years because it just wasn't. I didn't feel, and I've got four kids. I don't want them to read. It's just nonsense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
2: But I I think that I said I think the problem is uh, is that because because that that term is is is, if anything's become slightly normalised now, you know, you even see you know high street chains now being like. Uh, I better stick some like gluten-free stuff on the menu because otherwise we're not going to kind yeah. of sell, and we're we're going to miss. Eat, we're <laughs> going to miss out. And and so I think that there's that the mentality now of kind of like if I, if I'm not buying into that, I, I should really be but because and then that marketing, the more noise it creates, the more people start questioning. Well, should, should I? Shouldn't I?
1: people should eat more healthily there's always the eat less move more yeah. is a good argument
3: it's it i mean it, it is and you know, it's not good for, i think but to, to come back to one of your stats you know you have got to be aware of um obesity you know it is a, a thing yeah. that we need to say that life is more sedentary you know there's this kind of multimedia outputs to actually make things more uh, easily accessible for everybody to access what you put in your body is one of them you know there's um there was a magazine in the states which is called Eat This, Not That. Um it's actually it's a cookies. Well, like and it's yeah. <laughs> and it's great. it's the the single most <laughs> duh magazine idea in the world. It's like you're going to go to McDonald's, don't eat this burger at McDonald's, eat this burger at McDonald's. <laughs> and it's like Okay, and what it did is it just put them together and it counted up the fat, you could say, the saturated fat, da, da, da. so it wasn't about eating clean, it was just about actually kind of giving yourself the option and it was amazing because like, they actually tracked it into uh, full recipes and full days of like, what you could eat if you go to a corner shop or in a petrol station
2: and it was brilliant, you know, it's out there but you just <laughs> got, to, got to be aware, just kind of, you know, eat this, not know. that. I think though that it's also very easy to just get caught up because there is a lot of noise about it. It's kind of thinking that, it is taking over the world, and you know, I consciously today, every time I walk past, like you, you probably in a day walk past five McDonald's, you know, one at Waterloo and one hit, like everyone, whatever time of the day is ramped, <laughs> like rammed. <laughs> I know, yeah. And so there's this kind of, you know, is clean eating, is it, isn't it? What, well, well, what the core of it? McDonald's are like rubbing their hands and kind of.
0: Yeah, so my sister veg. lives
1: in Cornwall. She's never heard of clean eating. She's, I mean, it is a bit, <laughs> bit bubble-like, I think.
0: I'm going to read out some of the um, answers that you've uh, given us to uh, do you exercise and why. We've got one, which is very honest. So it's for sport, which is rugby, and aesthetics. Aesthetics is interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is an element of this, and here we have another one, which is to look and feel sexy, attractive, vain, <laughs> and then listen to right said spread... Uh, song too sexy, so there is an element <laughs> of aesthetics that we haven't yeah. really touched on. You know that we that it's quite hard to touch on in a magazine environment because you don't want to put people off. But basically, people want to look nice, don't they?
3: Yeah, and I, I, I'll be entirely that sure I've received both praise and massive amounts of criticism for the uh, the, you know, the men's health covers over the year. Um, and some of it, you know, it's valid. We, we made a, um, a, a choice about sort of how much, you know, max index our models would have so that, you know, there wouldn't be, two, <laughs> so that first guy that came up, you know, he was a lunatic, you know, like it's, you'd have to be bionic to get into that kind of shape. We, um, we started putting T-shirts on the models. But what we also did, just to sort of, you know, balance it out, was that we, um, we tested covers with um, sort of, you know, there's a lot of bigger people on the cover and say, so, well, there's this, and we say, does this work? And we, what we would do is we put them out in a region and see if kind of like a real people thing, you know, would really work. And then it didn't. And it was interesting. What we found was that we did a lot of um, transformations in the magazine. Um, I used to um, get rid a lot for this kind of classic thing of men's health, six pack in six weeks. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we actually got um, some of the staff to say, you know, do you wanna try this and see actually how far can you transform your body? Um, and they were good, you know, they were great guys, and they did it. And, you know, there was, there was a, a significant change there. So it was interesting because um, there is a, a balance in it, but where the aesthetic is concerned, you know, it's about it being achievable, still being aspirational. So we sort of tried to adopt the, you know, the Vanity Fair sort of thing where, you know, in a Vanity Fair, it's like you've got a major league celebrity on the cover, but it's kind of about politics. We're kind of hoping <laughs> to use the same thing, whereas, like, you'd have, you know, this guy on the cover who might be Hugh Jackman, but actually when you read it, most of this information applies to you.
0: OK, sort of so look, I have two here and then I'm going to uh, throw, throw it open to the audience. But um, one of them says, uh, sometimes I exercise to keep me remotely sane. Question, how do you get back into the habit once you fall off the wagon? And given that, you know, you give tips, you know, these, these are the situation. What are your tips for people who want to get back in the habit once they fall off the wagon? And also I have one here that says, no, I don't exercise. Nothing other than laziness. So how would you get that person to, A, exercise, if they wanted to, and, B, how would you get somebody to get back in the habit once they've fallen off the wagon? And you should know the answers.
2: (laughs) I think having come from kind of the Olympic coaching, whereby you're ultimately trying to get an Olympic medal, but ultimately it's all about motivation. And the art of coaching, training, whatever word you want to call it, is probably about 95% behavioural psychology, (laughs) which ultimately... is what the question is, as to how do you get someone from zero to doing something? And I think that it's all a matter of, we tend to, I tend to work in kind of either single or pairs or, or, uh, or, or in groups. And I think that with anything, like would you come to an event like this on your own, potentially, but you're very, you're much more likely if you wanted to come with a friend or you booked it, or you kind of put it in your diary. So it's, it's kind of looking at behavioural habits that you do that potentially isn't sport or exercise and, and then kind of look at the parallels of because it's, it's the same psychology.
1: Yeah. One of your top tips? <laughs> <laughs> I put my trainers by the bed. Undone, ready to put on. And I, <laughs> once I went to sleep in my running gear because I thought, I just will not go... <laughs> yeah morning okay. oh, wow. and i'm not i don't need a shower so i might as well just put my gear on go to sleep and then i'll have to go right. when i get up <laughs> the alarm goes off because i am a reluctant exerciser it's not my yeah i just feel so much better yeah. I'm, I'm, afterwards I'm the and same. Yeah. i don't like gadgets so i can't bear being in the gym i, I like to be outside But yeah, so. if you put your trainers by the bed and i think once you've got your trainers on you like well, what else are you going to do with your yeah, trainers on? you might as well go outside and then i always think well, I'm just going to go to the end of the road and then see how I feel. Yeah. Uh, I think if you think, I'm going to train for a half marathon, I've got to run 500 miles today. I think all of that is yeah. very... Yeah. In fact, that, yeah. that's something I learned from you. I just, you don't have to have a schedule and a programme and a yeah. thing and a thing. You just have to do it.
3: Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, I'm deeply shallow. Mine's my, I, when I left mental Health, I totally fell off the wagon. I was like, yes, I don't have to be in shape for the first time in 12 years. This is amazing. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm really... My terrible. I I bought myself a new T-shirt. And I make myself Mm. a new playlist and I promise myself I'm not going to make it unpleasant for the first two weeks. So I literally go there, I do whatever I fancy with absolutely no routine and I leave whenever I fancy and then you sort of get a little
1: uh, With friends, I mean, the first time we we did... The middle distance at Blenheim Triathlon and we just, we didn't do anything before it and seven of us did it and we did it together and we had so much fun (laughs) training. We just really enjoyed it. We trained together three times a week. We did it in our lunch hour. We got to know each other really well. We didn't really know each other before and... It was just really nice. We just, I was looking forward to seeing those friends as yeah. much as I was. And the actual, the actual day was largely irrelevant to the whole process. Yeah, I
0: but would like, say also, I mean, speaking of somebody who didn't do any exercise for a really long time um, because I had two kids and all those things, that the first time I went running, Tim kicked me at the bum <laughs> and, I did, and I went running in my jeans because I had and no... Con- and outfit.
2: converse trainers. Uh,
0: yeah, and I, no, I, I didn't have any yeah. of the outfits. And he just said, well, just run for a bit. And so I went, oh, all right, then, and ran for a bit. And then the main thing that kept me coming back was I had such a massive serotonin rush. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was like I'd taken an ecstasy. Yeah, yeah. And so I came after, like, I ran for 10 minutes and then felt like I should go and lick yeah. strangers' faces. And, so, and it was so strong yeah, that it. I thought, this is, like, going to get me through anything. Yeah. And so now that's,
1: that's, I only had to run for 10 minutes and that's what I get. Two months before the triathlon, the first time I went on a bike was one of those bikes you hire from, from wherever in London. Yeah. And I just cycle like, around Regent's <laughs> like, Park. And I hadn't been on a bike for 10 years.
3: Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. A mate of mine, Tom, who um, he had a very addictive personality in the 90s. He was addicted to basically everything. And then um, in the noughties, he decided not to be. And he's a very into um, men's fashion. I saw him at um, uh, Milan Fashion Week. And he said, he's, he's, you know, oh, how, how do you do this fitness stuff? And I said, well, you know, mate, just start easy. Just, you know, don't push yourself. Just, you know, go for a bit of a run and see if you like it. He's like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And I saw him the next day running around Milan in brogues and a suit. I was like, oh, dude.
0: <laughs>
2: But now he's absolutely brilliant. He's but absolutely I also brilliant. think that, that where... Uh, I was involved in a very, very interesting project with R- Rob the Bank at, at Best of All, and it was... We kind of did an experiment, which was, you know, what would happen if you were to hide the exercise bit and play the music card, like, really hard? Mm. So what we did was we kind of asked around quite a few of the headliners, you know, do you want to come and do a gig... And this sounds really weird, but the people are going to be watching you, but they're going to be on bikes. <laughs> and people can bring their booze in and like do it. Like, I don't care what they're doing, but the only thing is, if you want to watch, you've got to be on a bike. And it was the busiest tent at Beston. <laughs> and it was the weirdest thing. And kind of, we had uh, all the big headliners, and, and it was a tiny room, and we put 4,000 people through in three days. And it was that total kind of light bulb moment of, you know, exercise doesn't have to be this awful thing. No, she feel kind of, good. And, and everyone was doing it because, you know, obviously who knows what they were taking, but it was like... <laughs> it, it, it.
0: I've got one picture I want to show you just before we... Um, uh, there, yeah. OK. So I don't know if you've seen this lady. I can't actually remember her name because I'm rubbish. I did write it down. I've forgotten it now. But anyway, she is uh, running a park run, OK? And she had done no exercise at all. And she runs very, very slowly. She did uh, one of those apps, which is like naught to 5K, which basically you kind of run and you walk and you run and you walk. And eventually she started doing park running. She runs very slowly, even slower than me, and I'm super slow. So she runs at about 40, you know, she does her 5K in over 40 minutes. And she comes in last. You can see that he's behind her. But look at her face. She's so happy. And that's why she does it. And she's. Um, She's my inspiration. What do you say, thin inspiration? They used to say, don't they? Yeah. She's my she's my run inspiration, lady there. Okay, so um, I think I feeling like we should ask you, the audience. You, I saw your hand go up, and there is a there's the mic there. Up there. Hi.
4: Hello. Hi. Firstly, thank you for coming here and sharing your wisdom with us. I'm sure we all appreciate, it, and to everybody who helped organise the event, and it's an amazing venue. So thanks for that. Oh, by the way, I'm the guy who likes to write, said Fred.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You are looking sexy.
4: (laughs) How you doing? Um, I want to ask one thing I've got uh, basically, where lately, and I'm sure you guys all have it, there's just too much information overload. And, you know, my friend's recommending Joe Wick, someone's doing this, someone's... And it's almost like I'm just shutting out and just what works for me. And I don't know if you guys have had that for yourselves and people around you. And second thing, afterwards, we're going to be going to a vegan restaurant nearby. So if anyone wants to come for clean, oh, very good. you can have gluten. We've got McDonald's across the road optional. You're welcome to join us.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. So, yeah, information overload. How do you deal with... I mean, one of the things I think is quite interesting is that, you know, I run, but I've been told that running is really bad for me. You know, uh, loads of people have told me running's really bad for me. They said, you'll wreck your joints and I don't know why you're doing it. You should just go cycling, instead, or do Pilates. <laughs> and those kind of... I mean, I have no arguments against that because I don't know what the information is. So how do you work it out?
3: So um, I don't know. I imagine it. So what we used to find was that with, you know, the magazines, information wouldn't necessarily update that quickly, you know. Um, so we would go into real detail and we try and find ways that we could tweak this and change that. And you'd be sort of trying to find iteration on iteration of how can we make this better and how can we make this different? And then sometimes you just get lost in this world of fast-fibre twitch muscle endings and, you know, you just think, what the fuck am I doing? And basically what I always think is at the end of it, just take it back. Like, I always just look, there's... there's I mean, I'm, I don't want to offer you a cliche, but there's just basic things, which is, like, exercise... You know, it's, it's the, the moderation thing. Exercise a bit, do a bit of cardio... You lift a few weights, try and do a bit of sport, try not to eat anything that's too processed. There's like, when there's, that's what I sort of say, like, fitness has now proliferated in so many different categories. It really depends. You can tailor it to exactly what you want to do, but you don't have to. You know, you can actually make fitness mass, mass market accessible just by following like five or six D key principles. Whenever it gets too much and too involved, just go back to that. Like Running is a, is a, is a really key one, because when I worked on Runner's World, um, there was one lady that was just in, in insane shape. And she was what's called an ultra runner. So she did three marathons in three days and she would regularly clock up like 60, 70 miles. And one day she broke a bone in her foot and she just carried on anyway because she wanted the endorphin rush. And was saying, you know, don't do this, you know, recognize <laughs> that, that there is a limit to what you need to do. And you will, you know, it's like a saying, you know, when it gets to the point when it becomes painful, you should have stopped two minutes ago. Yeah.
2: I think we're in an age whereby information is now so, so accessible. You know Professor Google can answer everything, and so I personally think because of that access to information there's there's also the downside, which is that um, it's very accessible to present information, so that suddenly everyone can be an expert and 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 therefore do we especially in the fitness sector, it's very, very unpoliced. It's very, Mm. it's not very well managed. Um, You know, I'm aware I don't have hair, but you you wouldn't go and have a haircut with a hairdresser that's only done like a bit of a diploma online. Mm. Like, you just wouldn't do it. Whereas in fitness and in health at the moment, there is that opportunity whereby um, you you can do that. There was that really interesting documentary on BBC Three, I think it was, who was that, that YouTuber, I can't remember her name, and she kind of quite comically, you know, got a nutrition diploma um, w- w- and did nothing. And, and suddenly she was a nutritionist. And that was just one thing. But I think how I see it is that there will be a natural survival of the fittest. There will be a natural, the way that cycles go is that we will kind of come, come round full cycle and, and come back to the basics because ultimately the basics always, always win it's, you know, Hit training and all of that stuff. Athletes in the world of like elite sport have been doing that for like fifty years. It's not new. There's nothing new about it. Mm. The, the best athletes in the world—they are the ones to look at. Why are they in the best shape? Remove the drug conversation. It's a matter <laughs> of they're in the best shape because they do the basics brilliantly, and that's all they do. Yeah,
1: they don't do. But I, I think you have to try and remember why you're doing it. Why are you doing that exercise? Is it to feel better? Is it, it's not, I always think it's not to win anything. There's no medals. There's no, you know, are. You it's can kind get of... a medal for 10K. I've got one. <laughs> 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 we, I went, we had um, Lorna Kiplegate, one of the world's fastest marathon runners, come and um, run with us. And I never want to do a marathon. It's just not on. I would never want to do it. And I said, how, do you, how the hell do you just keep going? And she said, well, I'm just going for a run. She so said, i just go out with the mindset I'm going for a run and I really like it. <laughs> so I will just keep... And I thought, that is great. I and mean, You can just be going for a run. She said, if you get a bit tired, stop and walk a bit and then just run a bit faster. <laughs> but it's very simple, just stop and walk a bit and then run the next bit a bit faster. Yeah. But it is really simple if you just focus on why you're doing it. I think or focus get... on the next couple of minutes Yeah, as well. I know people get really wrapped up in, a, I've got to do 25K this week and I've got to get up and do this and I've got to... It just, should just make you feel great.
2: You also okay. tend to find, as a final
1: piece, is to that
2: you tend to find that the, the real people with the real knowledge aren't the ones shouting and screaming. No. That, the, that, like in any industry, the kind of clever guys and girls are the ones kind of behind the scenes. So the one that's shouting
5: the loudest probably isn't the person to listen to. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, the talk made me think about this um, quote from Arnie in the 80s and what you were saying which I thought was really interesting. I always remember it. And he said something like, the thing about having a good body that marks you out is that it's the only thing that you can't buy, you know, and it shows (laughs) discipline and desire and strength mentally. And it was making me think that actually that's almost even more pertinent now because We live in a world where you can buy almost anything, especially if you live in a city, you know, and all the things that people used to buy to mark themselves out as elite have been really democratised. Like, you can go out and eat, you know, great meals for hardly any money. You can listen to any music that's ever been recorded for a tenner a month. Fashion is completely democratised. But the one thing that hasn't been is having a good body and being fit because you can't buy it. So, <laughs> yeah. I, to me, I kind of think it is the new elitism, but more because everything else has become democratised and yeah. it's the one thing that hasn't. Yeah. So, Ooh. I think that's...
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really that's, interesting that's, point. Just, but then it's also... In, it's also. Uh, y- there's also that weird element of how celebrities have come closer to ordinary people, and ordinary people have come yeah. closer to celebrities. So c- the celebrity elitism has kind of passed down the idea that you can <sighs> that you can do it as well, hasn't it? So there's a kind of there is a slight democratization to it.
3: Well, I think that's a really interesting point. And actually, I'd never I'd, I'd never really c- considered that because there is a sort of a, a delayed gratification to exercise. And I mean, you know, it, it, maybe within a session, you know, like you, most people have to run before the endorphin rush kicks in for a bit. You know, it's not. Otherwise, you'd always jog and be the happiest people in the world. Yeah, um, yeah there's definitely a, a bit There's, a, there's always a discipline first. And then when you actually want to see the body change, there's the leg gratification. And when you get the physiological change, there's the leg gratification. So I think it's a good point. You know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You, you do have to work at it. You do have to commit if you want to make... You know any large scale changes, but um I think the the, the means to achieve are, are still more more at people's disposal than than they ever have been.
1: I think also there's an element of um us staying younger longer Absolutely. so I mean well like, well, I didn't take up any form of exercise till I was about forty three yeah. so I think that yeah. we just keep it going and we do feel we can control it a little bit. you see difference. You, yeah. Things change when you're older. and I don't think that... We're probably the first generation that's done hardcore exercise for quite as long, for, I think. Yeah.
0: And also, there is a theory that people who used to go raving in the 90s all yeah. run. Yeah. And the, the reason is because you thought that you were getting high off the drugs and the music, and you weren't—you were getting high yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the exercise, nothing.
2: Yeah. I agree and with you, this. Oh no, yeah, go ahead. No. I, was I I do agree with the statement, but it also depends where you are on your own kind of life stage, because the way that you interpret that station um, mm. statement is, is is different if you're 20, 40, 70. Yeah. So kind of. Yeah, that's how I. <laughs> my perception of kind of how I look after my body is totally different now because I've got three kids and kind of, yeah. like, yeah. they mean more to anything than kind of, you know, do I look the best I ever have? It's kind of like, I just care about them and my wife and my family and my kids kind of thing. So yeah,
0: it's, yeah, their priorities change. We, mm. You had a question.
2: I was just wondering, it can't be a coincidence,
3: though, still, that you're seeing obesity rates higher in poorer areas. Yeah. I mean, if you were to Very compare much. the demography of clapham to barking radically different yeah. mm-hmm. so although so although perhaps the people have access to exercise is there still a perception of elitism and I, I think i'm looking more to the editors here in terms of your the demographics who you sell to yeah. if you were to segment by area like where is your readership are you, you know do you have a do you have a high readership in somewhere like wolverhampton sure you know out of interest I'm just no no it's, it's a really good question um men's um, again, I should say, you know, I, I left you, but Men's was always very interesting because it actually did have a, a very large um, de- uh, sort of demographic spread. Um, a lot of magazines do sell in London, the southeast. Yeah, there's no, no two ways about that. But this one, of, of all the ones I've worked on, Runners World, actually, um, they both had quite a large sort of ge- geographic um, and sort of coverage. But I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I always think, and this is very, very primitive, but sort of, you know, fitness isn't, isn't just about running or just about lifting weights or just about sport. It's obviously nutrition is a, a huge part. Um, you know, a lot of you know, people, it's a bit trite and say it's 70% nutrition. You know, so if you're exercising but you're still putting the wrong things into your body, it's not going to be much good. And, and I think that's the thing, you know, you know it's a it's thing. We used to try and campaign for this very heavily to, to you know, try and get sort of taxation um, in the right places, not the wrong places, that actually it, it's still cheaper to buy you know terribly processed foods and and you know that mm-hmm. is right you can counterbalance it you know sort of things like you know running become more accessible the information is more accessible so you know the ability to try and counteract is stronger but yet fundamentally i think it's that and from my perception with all the research that i've done in the magazines i think a lot of it is down to actually when what you can eat and where you can eat
4: it
2: mm. i think i think there's going to be a massive shift though because because of the way streaming's happening and, and the popularity of youtube and. Facebook Live, and again, the, the medium of technology, I think that that has an opportunity to make exercise broadly more accessible, because, and I'm not talking about cost. It's, at the moment, you tend to find that there's potential this like massive north-south divide because of you know 20 quid for a class, and you can't afford that in, mm-hmm. in anywhere else. However, why is Parkrun being so successful? And why is Parkrun nationwide? There are 386 classes in London. There's no other classes anywhere else in the, in the UK, broadly speaking, yeah. but Parkrun everywhere, why? Because oh, it's geez. free and yeah. they make their money off advertising. And if you look at a model like Boiler Room, Boiler Room is exactly the same. Boiler Room's free. Boiler Room makes so much money now because of the partnerships they do off, off the advertising, which is the same model as Parkrun. Yeah, it's One of the models that haven't
3: been mentioned, but might be, is also the Tough Mudder model which is really yeah. interesting because, uh, you know, you can get you know, 22,000 people at an event there for a ticket that costs £26. You can get 32,000 people at a rock concert, which will cost £35. It's interesting the way that the events are actually helping to kind of f- yeah. fuel
1: the step change. Mad, tough
0: mother, don't do that. You had a question? Oddly enough, I do quite a lot of work
4: with Park Um... And one of the things that has stood out to me in conversations with them is how very small things can make a significant difference in terms of why people do or do not do it. So you say there's got a great spread, but actually there's a, there's a, a tonne of park runs in London, but actually very few in Cornwall, for example. And yes, there's a sort of population density issue there, but it's also about um, the sort of social demographics. But look at something as simple as the fact that to, in order to do a parkrun, you need to have a printed barcode. In order to print a barcode, you need a printer at home. When you start to look at certain communities and say, do they have a printer in their home? Can I print a barcode? That starts to sort of create these very minor, but very significant in some ways barriers to entry. Mm. So one thing we're sort of be, we've been looking at with them is, you know, how do we sort of enable communities like, say, an Asian community in Glasgow to, to, to feel comfortable about going on to park run? And that is actually about a community atmosphere. So it's not about running. It's about <laughs> attending a community event And it just happens to be that running is the central part of it. But the other thing that sort of fascinates me around parkrun, and it goes back to the point that you made around um, the democratisation of it, is that the only way to get your 50 T-shirt is to attend 50 parkruns. Now, they're once every week. That's an awful lot of effort. But what they're not celebrating is the sub-20 times. They celebrate participation. And I think it's that and that removal of that idea that it's... um, an elitist performance thing, and actually, it's much more around. You are attending a community event, which sort of has sort of uh, coffee afterwards, and it takes place in a park, and it's very aesthetic, and it's you know it's regular. You don't have to think about when it is. It's every Saturday morning at nine o'clock. Straightforward, simple, low effort. Yeah,
0: very interesting.
4: I
2: think that um,
4: I've, I actually um,
2: know the guys that started it. So, and, and I'm actually from that kind of running neck of the woods when the first part run started running in, in Teddington and, and, and we're all from the same running group kind of community. And we were all like, what are you doing? Like, you're not charging? Like, are you crazy? Like, how are you gonna make any money? And, and, and what happened was that it was all the elite runners because Mo Farah and all the guys from around the Teddington world would go down to Teddington, down to Bushy Park, and they would absolutely nail a 5K. And it kind of, over time, it's, it shifted towards this community thing. And I think far less, I know far less elite runners that go along to try and get a PB and far more, you know, you said about you went with your son.
0: Yeah,
2: And and I think it's that shift. So it'll be really interesting to see where it goes in say three years time. Um, because of this, the speed of the technology, and, and that's a very good point about printers, et cetera. So yeah, there and must also be a way it would be quite nice, accessible. I think,
0: if you just got a little, like, a really crap badge for just doing it the first time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would have been so chuffed with right. that. I've only run it once, and I came 414th out of 418 people. <laughs> 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 but I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're kind of at the end of our uh, talk. So I'd just like to say thank you very much for everybody in the audience for your intelligent questions and listening. And thank you to our fabulous thank you. panel. <laughs> Thanks for listening. To find out about the House of St Barnabas, go to hosb.org.uk. And for more information on BUG, go to buglondon.co.uk. And both websites have details on how you can get tickets and come along to one of our talks. So why not come along? Maybe I'll see you there.